Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Daily Dialectic with me, Ted Matrakis. And on my last two episodes, I talked about Jesus. And so I was thinking, where do you go from there after Jesus? And the answer, of course, is Elvis. So I want to talk about what is the meaning of Elvis? Why is he important for us right now in the 2020s? What did he sing about? What did he represent? What can we learn from him in this cultural moment? And so Elvis was all about love more than anything the dialectical nature of love, its power and freedom, but also its vulnerability. So what can Elvis tell us about the dialectics of love? So that's the focus of this episode. I'm going to be using the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, as well as Lana Del Rey, who was in some ways the modern heir to Elvis, but an inverted version. As Lana says in her song, Body Electric, Elvis is my daddy, Marilyn Monroe is my mother, Jesus is my bestest friend. So she's very much trying to pick up on the cultural tradition of Elvis, who also draws a lot from Jesus, who I'll talk about towards the end of the episode. But she does it in kind of a postmodern, detached, feminized way. So love is probably the most important thing in life, yet it's also the hardest to describe without using sort of dead language, cliches, and banalities. It's the thing that's closest to us, but also the furthest. When we try to express it or understand it, it kind of withers away and dies. So it's the most obvious thing, but also the most mysterious. It's the most human part of life, but also the most alien. It makes us most alive, yet whenever we try to understand it, it seems to vanish. And so love is the ultimate freedom. It empowers us to become who we are and do things we never thought we could. Through love, all things are possible. But it also traps us and makes us weak. And so this is one of the central contradictions of love. Love is the power that makes us weak and a weakness that makes us powerful. So love is maddening and seductive because it makes us think we have the power to control our own freedom and become who we are, but we are always reminded that this power isn't ours. It depends on someone else's mediation. So love makes us who and what we are, but also destroys us. It keeps us together and also pulls us apart. We want it more than anything, despite it leading to the dissolution of the self, or perhaps because of that. And so I think in Elvis's voice, you can hear this tension. All of his songs are about love, basically, about wanting love, even though it destroys him, especially because it destroys him and pulls him apart. And if the love isn't pulling you apart like that, then Elvis wouldn't really sing about it and he wouldn't want it. And you can not only hear this in his voice, you can feel it. You can feel him being pulled apart by love. That's the sound of his voice. That's what he sounds like. But it is still an affirmation of this. His songs aren't really sad necessarily. They're always uplifting, inspiring, energizing, and life-affirming. And so even though you can hear and feel him being pulled apart to pieces, it's never really sad. And so all of Elvis's songs are about this experience of being pulled apart by love, basically. But his song, Love Me, is perhaps most directly about this. He says, treat me like a fool, treat me mean and cruel, but love me. Ring my faithful heart, tear it all apart, but love me. So he fully knows what love will do to him. It will tear his heart apart, but he still wants it more than anything. He knows that having his heart torn apart is how the heart is formed. That's what love is. And so I wanted to play this song. My faithful heart. 
go so love me tear my heart up so he even though he knows it's going to destroy him he still wants it really badly because he knows that that's how the heart is formed through being sort of torn up and rebuilt and even though it's painful he embraces it because he knows it's better to have a heart than not have one and the heart is only formed by being torn and rebuilt like any muscle growth really and so the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard the 19th century existentialist Christian philosopher, his main theme was love. He always talked about love in all of his work, really, in an infinite number of ways. And he nicely sums up the dialectical nature of love in this line. He says, quote, Love, to be sure, proceeds from the heart, but let us not in our haste about this forget the eternal truth that love forms the heart. And so again, I think this is what you can hear in Elvis's voice, that love must build itself in order to sustain itself. We have to form the heart before we can love so that we can love. And so forming a heart, building a heart, it's a very intense materialist process. And you can always hear this kind of building of the self, this painful process in the voice of Elvis. So Elvis represents a kind of love without idealism, a grounded materialist worldly love that fully engages with the necessary pain involved in forming a heart. And so love forms the heart so that you then have a heart with which to love. And love will then destroy your heart because that's what love does. So you build your heart in order to love so that it may then be broken. So that's the dialectic of the heart. And this, again, is what Elvis is all about. The terror of forming a heart that is being built only to be broken. 
but the duty to build that heart anyway. And so that's what Love Me is about. And all of his songs are about this, but Love Me is really the most direct expression of it. And so Elvis, one of his other famous songs is I Can't Help Falling in Love. And that's a recurrent theme in Elvis. He can't help falling in love. He can't help but form his heart. So he is in some ways the least free, yet he has this amazing power to do anything, to go anywhere. He is the king. So he's, you know, a king yet totally controlled by love. So he's a king, but he's also very much a subject of his own love. So the pain you hear in his voice is precisely what makes him the king. He's the king of pain, really. And so Kierkegaard always brings everything back to love, but also to God. And so he says of God, quote, you who are love, so that one who loves is what he is only by being in you, end quote. So when we love, we are living and being within God. We can live inside of love wherever we are and forever in this way. And I think Elvis shows this. He is very tortured and in pain. You can hear that in his voice, but also very at home in the world, very worldly, because wherever he is, he's living fully within love, within the present within all the possibilities of the present moment. That's what love unlocks. So you don't have to worry about the future or the past when you're living in love. You can live fully within the present. And that's the power of God too. And this is what makes Elvis the king. As the king, he is very powerful and his power comes from love. But love is not something he controls or uses or has power over, quite the opposite. In I Can't Help Falling in Love, he laments how he's powerless against love, even though he knows it's the wrong idea but giving into it both weakens and strengthens him. So I wanted to play Can't Help Falling in Love. But I can't help 
So he can't help falling in love. Even though it's going to destroy him, he still does it. So he's powerless against love. But he willingly gives into it because he knows that it will give him power and make him stronger. So it's this weakness that makes him strong. And so Kierkegaard mentions singing. He says, quote, For what perishes blossoms, and what blossoms perishes. But that which has being cannot be sung about. It must be believed, and it must be lived. End quote. So being cannot be sung about, he claims. But if being is transformed into becoming, if being becomes body, which is what Jesus does, taking the being of God and the Holy Spirit and grounding it in a material body, that's the story of Jesus. I think this is also what Elvis does. He gives a body to love. And so being can just sort of roll out of the body. And this is what Elvis sounds like. And so love is the most powerful thing in life. So we hold it far away from us, even though it's the only way that we can really feel at home in the world. Without love, we're constantly lost. We're kind of like aliens wandering around the planet without totally knowing who we are or where we are. But with love, we're at constant risk of being destroyed. So those are kind of our two options, being lost aliens without love or being destroyed humans with love. So Elvis does not hold love at a safe distance. He is not an alien. He is very much grounded. He is the most human. His songs are all about accepting the destructive power of love into himself. He lives in love, so he is always at home in it, but also always in pain from it. So in another one of his more famous, famous songs, Burning Love, he is literally burning up in love. He sings about being reduced to just a hunk of hunk of burning love. He's no longer human. So by engaging in love in this very intense way as he does, he both loses his humanity by becoming just a, a hunk of burning flesh, essentially. But this is also what makes him not alienated and what makes him at home in the world. So I wanted to listen to this song. Burning Love.
So it's a very happy song. He's celebrating the fact that his body is being horribly deformed. He might turn to smoke, but he feels fine. The flames are getting closer, but he likes it. So he's very much embracing and affirming his kind of physical disincorporation or disunification being uh, melted by these flames. And he wouldn't have it any other way. And towards the end of the song, he, you know, says, I'm a hunk of hunk of burning love. He's no longer human. And you can hear him sort of scream. So it's like, it's horror, but it's a very happy horror because he knows that through this kind of horror and terror of physical disincorporation, uh, it gives him, you know, this power to become a god, essentially. Um, and he's, again, embracing it happily. So Jesus was tortured, uh, and that made him a god. But he wasn't really happy about it. Elvis embraces it kind of happily. In All Shook Up, which is another one of his more famous songs, you know, he's all shook up by love. He's dizzy. He's turned upside down. He doesn't know which way is up. He's totally lost his bearings. But again, he isn't lamenting or mourning this. He's celebrating it. Okay, so let's listen to All Shook Up, which is pretty similar thematically to uh, Burning Love. Here it is. So he's dizzy, he doesn't know which way to turn. That song's all about the body. His knees are weak, he can't stand on his own two feet, his mind is mixed up. So it's all these descriptions of his body sort of not working correctly and malfunctioning because of love having this effect on him. And the other part of the song is just like, like these guttural sounds. So it's all about descriptions of his body sort of falling apart and making these very you know, bodily noises rolling out of him. So that's what love does to him. 
And so Lana Del Rey, who I will talk about more as we go on, uh, is more about lamenting and mourning our current situation, longing to return to an age when the kind of love Elvis embodies was more possible. So Elvis is the terror of self-destruction, being burnt up and shook up physically, uh, bodily, you know, mortification, but manifesting in the form of chauvinistic, confident self-presentation. So in All Shook Up, you can really hear this because he's talking about how his body doesn't work anymore, but he's also making these very like manly guttural noises like, "Uh uh so it's that dialectic of bodily disintegration and mortification that's being embraced and celebrated and sort of synthesized into this confident chauvinism of the classic Elvis sounds of like, you know, manly grunts and whatever. And so this is, I think, the kind of masculinity that's now called toxic, but which Elvis so effortlessly embodied and which Lana, I think, is yearning for a return to. So Elvis is very vulnerable. He's burning up. He's shaken up. His body doesn't work. He's turning to smoke and so on. But he's also supremely confident. He can have any woman he wants. He's the king. So he becomes the king by embracing this kind of, you know, bodily terror. And so Elvis, again, isn't yearning to return to any previous age. He's a man fully in the present moment. His dialectic of terror at his self-mortification manifesting in this chauvinistic self-presentation doesn't need to be overcome. It was a true authentic way of being in the modern world. He is the quintessential modern subject man at home in the world for the first time, fully. That's why he's the king. Even though he's constantly being pulled apart, everyone wanted to be him. Everyone wanted to imitate him. And he showed the way for the common man to become a king in this sense. And this is what love does. It enables us to live in the present moment like nothing else. And so Elvis isn't trying to return to a better, more authentic time. And he isn't trying to travel around or ramble around in search of something. And so that's kind of a familiar theme in Americana music, like Rambling Man, Bob Dylan songs. It's always these journeys, these stories, traveling around, whatever. Johnny Cash songs are like that too. Elvis isn't really like that. Elvis songs are very much contained in the present. And it's all about his body in the present moment. And that tells enough of a story. That tells more of a story than any Bob Dylan song or Johnny Cash song or whatever. So he stays right where he is grounded. He lives in love And that is all the traveling, all the motion that he needs. So he's kind of an inverted nomad, a nomad, someone who constantly travels around. So Elvis is not that kind of nomad. He's a reverse nomad. The world comes to him. Love comes to him. He doesn't have to move at all, really. He's going through enough just as it is already. He's burning up, shaking up without searching for anything. So he doesn't have to find a place to live because he lives in love already and carries that with him. And love carries him with it. And so I think it's interesting and significant that Elvis died in 1977, right as the neoliberal period was starting. So Elvis's subjectivity is totally incompatible with neoliberal subjectivity. The neoliberal subject has no time for love. The neoliberal, neoliberal subject is defined only by work, by efficiency, by self-optimization and achievement, by emptying himself out, uh, but without filling himself up. Neoliberal subjectivity is empty. There's no content to it, no texture. It's very alienated, which is why the theme of returning to a better golden past, making America great again, and so on, has become so popular. As neoliberalism crumbles, as the neoliberal period ends, as neoliberal subjectivity becomes discredited.
So neoliberal subjectivity is all about yearning for this golden past to return to, and also about a future that is being sold to us that we don't really want or understand. So this is a kind of bourgeois futurism of Elon Musk and so on. It's a future with nothing in it for us, really, that nobody really wants. It's about underground tunnels and robots and all kinds of bullshit. So neoliberalism gives us everything except a present with any content, texture, or fullness to it. And this is precisely what Elvis offers, what he embodied. Living in the present moment, full of content, full of texture, doesn't need to go anywhere. And that's what has been lost in the last 40 years or so since he died. So the neoliberal subject is constantly racing around, doing all kinds of things to try to compensate for the fact that there's this emptiness within. Elvis offers the complete antidote to that. Elvis is so anchored to the present, living fully within love, that he has no need of future or past or of traveling around or rambling around. So in one of his best songs called If I Can Dream, performed in 1968, Elvis harnesses the power of the present in a remarkable way. When he sings about his dream in If I Can Dream, he makes it sound both beautiful and agonizing, both inevitable and impossible. It's his most dialectical song. And love, as I've been saying, is very dialectical. And Elvis's songs are often dialectical in the form of questions. So the title of this song, If I Can Dream, is sort of in the form of a question. If I can dream, then the dream should come true right now, as he says in the song, which we're going to listen to. So the journey, the destination, is already contained within the question. In the song, he also says, in my heart, there's a trembling question. And so love is precisely this dialectical trembling, freedom being found and lost at the same time. That's what love is, power and powerlessness. Worshiping love, even though it causes pain, especially because it causes pain. So Elvis is constantly living within this dialectic. Okay, so I wanted to play this song, If I Can Dream.
amazing song, so powerful. And, you know, Elvis is the king, he's royalty, but he works so hard in his songs. You can hear him, you can hear how hard he's working in his voice. He's torturing himself for us. And if you watch the video of him singing that song, he looks like he's, you know, going through this horrible experience of pulling these sounds out of himself. So he's a king, but he works as hard as anyone. I think he's very relatable in that sense. He's sort of this royalty that anyone can, I don't know, understand or try to engage with. And that's what makes him quintessentially American and this, you know, uh, hero of sort of the common man. And so he isn't talking about a dream that can be achieved in the future. He's saying, if I can dream, then why can't my dream come true right now? Not in the future, right now. And it's very materialist. He says, if I can walk, if I can think, if I can talk, if I can dream, if I can do all of these physical things in the world with my body, then my dream should come true right now because it's part of my body. I can walk and talk and think right now. So my dream should also be manifest in the same way right now. Why not? So he's grounding dreams in the present and in the materiality of this world. And anyone who can walk and talk and think and dream should be able to achieve their dream in the present moment right now. So he's sort of democratizing this idea of dream that anyone can have it and anyone can achieve it right now. It's not this far off thing. So dreams are grounded in the present and in the materiality of this world and of the body. Dreams aren't in our heads and they aren't in the future. They're part of our body in this world in the present right now. And so it's interesting to contrast this with Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, which he gave in 1963, which is about five years before Elvis recorded this song. Um, so Martin Luther King's dream is someday in the future we'll get there. With Elvis, the dream is already contained in the present right now for all of us, if we can just see it and hear it. With Martin Luther King, it's I have a dream. So it's his dream, and we listen to his dream. With Elvis, it's if I can dream. So if I can dream, then you can dream too. It's the same dream. The dream is here. We can all do it right now. So it's not Martin Luther King's dream that one person has about the future. Elvis's dream is a dream that anyone can have. If he has it, you can have it, and you can achieve it right now. And there's a certain collectivity to the song because he's in so much pain, I think. You can hear so much suffering in his voice, even though it's very uplifting and positive and inspirational. The performance of it is very negative and very much about this kind of pain and horror that you can hear in his voice almost. Um, and the collectivity comes in because he sort of needs to be carried by the instrumentation in the song. Uh, there's this very triumphant orchestra and accompaniment and the trumpets especially sort of carry him. And he sounds so urgent. You can really hear urgency in his voice. You know, if I can dream, if I can walk, if I have a body, I am in this world, my dream should come true right now. So he can't wait. The possibility for revolution is contained in the present. You can feel it and you can see Elvis feeling it. You can hear him feeling it. He doesn't have time to wait. And you can see him and hear him not having time. You can, he makes you feel time running out. But as you feel time run out, you aren't hopeless. You're inspired and uh, uplifted. So he feels his dream fully with every fiber of his body. It's already real. It's alive. 
The dream of history is alive within the present. Elvis can see it, hear it, and feel it in the present. So the dream should come true right now. There's no need to wait or travel around or march into the future. Dreams come true right where, right now where you are. So there's no searching or marching needed. So Lana Del Rey in her song, Fuck It, I Love You, sort of has a similar theme here where she goes against this idea of traveling to find some cure, against this classic Americana idea of rambling around, looking for something, of searching for a dream. So in Fuck It, I Love You, she says, go to California, but it's just a state of mind. Turns out everywhere you go, you take yourself, and that's no lie. And the title of the song, too, Fuck It, I Love You, is very much about living in the present, taking what the present has, forgetting about the past and the future. So I wanted to see if I could play that song. There we go. I like to see everything in the Drink lime green, stay up till dawn Maybe the way that I'm living is killing me I like to light up the stage with a song Do shit to keep me turned on But one day I woke up like maybe I'll do it differently So I moved to California but it's just a state of mind It turns out everywhere you go you take yourself It's not a lie Wish that you would hold me or just say that you were mine It's killing me slowly Dream a little dream of me Maybe in a song that's sweet Turn the radio on Dance into a pop song
there you go. So the chorus there, go to California, but it's just a state of mind. Everywhere you go, you take yourself. That's not a lie. So you don't have to run around to find it. You just have to sort of live in the present moment. And again, the title, Fuck It, I Love You, it's like, you know, take what the present moment has. Forget about the past and the future. Fuck it, I love you right here, right now, in the present. Um, and so in this song, you can definitely hear a kind of pain the way you hear it in Elvis. But with Elvis, it's a different kind of pain. Elvis is sort of dying in his song. You can hear him sort of going through this very intense physical process of encountering his own death and like pulling his death out of him, taking his death into him and pulling it out of him. Very dialectical. With Alana, she's kind of at a remove from that pain. It's like she's already died. Um, and she says, you know, the way I'm living is killing me slowly. She talks about drugs. So she's more medicated. Elvis was into drugs, but he didn't really talk about it in his songs or let it impact his songs. And Lana says she's running out of time. And Elvis, you know, has this urgency and he doesn't have the time to wait either. So there's this urgency and this theme of death with both of them, but it's very different. So Elvis lives entirely in the present moment, which seems like the most natural, easy thing, but it's really the hardest thing to do, which is why he isn't cool and calm necessarily. He's sweating, his voice is breaking up, he's constantly falling apart, he's in pain, but that is precisely what makes him cool, his lack of coolness itself. So in Never Been to Spain, one of my favorite songs of his, he celebrates the power of staying one place, of being in the present. I just wanted to play that song. This has never been to Spain. Thank you. 
Wow, what a song. Uh, you probably heard me clapping and singing in the background. Sorry, I can't help it. That song is just so good. And so he says, I've never been to heaven, but I've been to Oklahoma. They tell me I was born there, but I really don't remember. Oklahoma or, is it, or Arizona, what does it matter? So where you're going, where you've been, doesn't really matter. Where you are in the present is all that matters. So this song is all about sort of repudiating travel or journeying. So there's no real journey in Elvis's songs because he doesn't have to go on a journey. He's Elvis. He's the man. He's the king. Wherever he is, is the place to be. He is the journey. His voice is the journey. And you can hear the story and the journey in his voice. So he doesn't have to talk about going places. So this song is so good because he's saying, I haven't been to all these places. Who cares? You know, I don't have to go anywhere. I'm Elvis. (laughs) I live in the present and wherever I am, that's it. So he is, the next song we're going to listen to is The Bridge Over Troubled Water. At the end of an Elvis song, you always feel like you're in the same place you were at the beginning, but in a radically new way. You haven't moved at all. The world has moved. And that's what the effect of dialectics is. So his songs come out of him in this very physical, material way. They almost emerge from him and vibrate out of him, emanating rather than being sung. Like it's already there, the sound's already there, and it's just being revealed rather than being, you know, belted out in this effortful way. And I think this is how Lana sings too. She's just kind of minimally revealing what's already there. So the songs themselves don't really have much to them. They're very minimal. But Elvis finds some kind of maximalism within these very minimal songs. He finds a kind of maximal expressionism through his own experience and through his own body. And so Elvis's voice doesn't really start or stop. It's always sort of in the middle. It's a moving train or rolling waves that's always there. So he just opens himself up and we can catch the train. It doesn't really build to any crescendos or lead anywhere. It's complete already. And so another great song of his is Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. And again, in the title, we see the emphasis on the present, forgetting the past or future, just go with whatever thought you have. It's all right. It's one of those songs that begins already like it's in process. It doesn't get started. It's already started. Just like the volume gets turned up and you have to kind of catch up to it. Okay, so I wanted to play this. This is Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. Don't think twice, it's all right. 
song starts it's just already in motion and you're going and so he says at one point in the song where i'm bound i can't tell don't matter anyway so he doesn't have a destination in mind he's just going so the song is a moving train don't think twice just jump on the train that's moving right in front of you and i think this is the perfect dialectical materialist sound this is how the marxist philosopher louis althusser in his later work describes revolution as a moving train already on the go in the present moment. His term for this is the materialism of the encounter. I talked about this on a previous podcast about Althusser. So Elvis, I think, is precisely this materialism of the encounter. Love is this material encounter of the self with itself, the negation of the self. And so that is revolutionary. And Elvis is revolutionary. It's easy to forget that because he's such a mainstream, familiar character in American culture. But, you know, when he first came on the scene, they famously couldn't film him. They couldn't show from below the waist because it was too scandalous or whatever, what he was doing with his hips. Um, and wherever he went, he caused riots. His movies were banned in Mexico because he caused so many horrible riots when they premiered there. He changed the rules of television and on and on and on. And so this materialism of the encounter, the essence of revolution for Althusser, is not a pleasant, easy thing. It's terrifying. Althusser says the materialism of the encounter is all about the creation of a void so that some new revolutionary content can fill this void. And the void is pure terror. And so terror and revolution are always linked in this way. And the sound of Elvis is precisely the void creating itself, out of itself. Pure terror, but also pure excitement. So it's a void, but not a hopeless void. So I think that's precisely the dialectical... Um, advance of Elvis. A void that is not hopeless, but is rather extremely life-affirming. And this is the essence of modern subjectivity at its best. All you can do is create a void, but this terror should not make us sad. It should excite us because it's all we can do to make life progress and advance. Life only progresses through terror and love is the most terrifying thing. And that is what life, that is what makes life go on. 
And so sound is such a mystery. It's the hardest thing to transform into words and into reason, even though sound is what we're immersed in all the time. It's the closest thing to us, but we don't know what it looks like or feels like or points towards. Elvis gets sound to stand still, to take human form, to become something we can see and feel and use. And so what's revolutionary about Elvis is how music had never sounded so human before. Sound had never become so fully humanized. The content of sound finally achieved a kind of synthesis with form, human form. Content and form merge completely with Elvis. So he sounds like he's singing to save his soul at times. When Elvis sings, you can almost hear him trying to save his soul, struggling with the dissolution of his soul in real time. And that's sort of the pain of Elvis. It hasn't been lost yet, but it's in the process of being lost. And I think today when people sing, they either helplessly lament that humanity has lost its soul entirely, or they celebrate the loss and they don't really care. They're sort of ironically detached from it. But with Elvis, there's no irony at all. There's no sort of distance from the self or the soul or any of that. He's fully immersed in it, fully in contact with it. And so I think Elvis kind of sounds the way he looks and looks the way he sounds. That's why he was the greatest performer, that kind of unity of image and sound in one package. And his voice got better as he got older. That If I Can Dream song was recorded in 1968 during his comeback special. His voice had more life to it, more character, character, more gravitas, more rawness. But as his voice sounded better, he looked worse. The quality of his voice was carved out of his body itself. This is why he sings with such urgency in his later years. His voice got better as it was destroying him. He had no time to wait. He was not singing for the future. His voice is not the voice of the future. It's a voice fully in the present. And that gives it its power, but also its vulnerability. Um, Elvis and Kurt Cobain are often compared. In 2006, Cobain passed Elvis as the top-earning dead celebrity. They are perhaps the two most distinctive voices of American rock and roll in the 20th century, but their voices are very different, even though there are some similarities. So Kurt's voice is a raggedy voice, kind of like a dying animal. Elvis sometimes sounds like a dying animal, but Elvis is an animal struggling against his death. Kurt is kind of an animal for whom death is inevitable. Death encompasses the whole horizon for Cobain. There's nothing beyond death that can be seen or heard in his voice. So Cobain is a human regressed to kind of animal form. You can hear that in his voice. So he's living in the present, but as an animal does, not transcending it. Elvis is living in the present, but for transcendent purposes, pushing forward to new horizons or finding the new horizons already contained in the materiality of the present. New revolutionary possibilities that are already here, but just need to be sort of ripped out of the present. And so that makes Elvis more of a god than an animal. So they're living in the present with their voices, but in two very different ways. So living in the present so fully and powerfully, living in love this way, has its costs. It burns you up, it shakes you up, and all that. And you can hear the pain in Elvis's voice And If I Can Dream. He has the power to make his dream come true right now, but this power is pulling him apart. But it's not the pain that you hear in Kurt Cobain's voice. Kurt's pain is a negative pain. Elvis is more of an affirmative pain, saying yes to life despite its pain, because of its pain. So Kurt is basically denying life, saying that life is shit. It's this negative pain that leads to nothing. Elvis finds meaning and joy in the pain, future in the pain of the present. 
Kurt just finds suffering and emptiness in the pain. So Elvis is very much engaged with this pain, but he never lets it get him down. He wouldn't have it any other way. He likes being burnt up. He likes being shaken up. And I can't help falling in love. He can't help falling in love. And you can feel this wrenching, pulling apart pain in his voice in that song. So he lives in love. It's his home. It's where he belongs. But he is aware that it is pulling him apart. Elvis sounds and looks both supremely comfortable and confident, but like he's starting from scratch all the time, pulling authenticity out of his deepest depths at every moment effortlessly. And so Kierkegaard talks about how you shall love. You are commanded to love by God. There's a commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But it isn't easy. It's a kind of agony that you can really hear and feel in Elvis's voice. So you have to build love out of yourself every day in order to live in it. You can't live in fake love. And it requires this kind of constant engagement with reality, with authenticity, to build a kind of love that you can live in every day. So for Kierkegaard, habit is the enemy of love. He says, quote, let the thunder of a hundred cannon remind you three times daily to resist the force of habit, he says, because habit destroys love. And love is something that you have to constantly rebuild every day in order to live fully inside of it. And again, I think you can hear this in Elvis's voice. His music never becomes habitual or routine. He's never going through the motions. He's always sort of putting his life on the line with all of his performances. It feels and sounds and looks like it's his last performance every time. He really gives everything and works extremely hard every time he's singing with all of his performances. You can hear his voice constantly burrowing into the deepest recesses of his soul and emerging out in this ragged, haphazard, almost violent way. He sounds like a cannon thundering against the force of habit. So habit is mindlessness, it's automatic, and everything about Elvis's voice is sincere and he means it. He never goes through the motions in any of his songs because it all comes out of his body in this deep way. His voice rolls out of him in waves. It's a force that he generates physically. So that's why he had to move around so much when he was singing because it wasn't just coming from his mouth or from his lungs. His sound, his voice is coming from his entire body. His whole body sings and his voice hits you with this material weight. You can hear the pain in his voice. You can feel it. There's nothing habitual or routine about it. And so Elvis never really goes through the motions in his songs because you can't go through the motions in love or else love dies. So Elvis is constantly struggling to keep love alive by keeping it hot, burning up, shaking up. This is how you defend against habit. And habit, as Kierkegaard says, is a destroyer of love. So Elvis means every word of every song. If you watch him sing, he's sweating, he's moving, contorting his body, contorting his face, pulling the sound from his body in this very almost grotesque way. Um, so the philosopher Alexander Garcia Dutman has interesting insights into the dialectic of love and life, how love drives life forward, but not in a pleasant way. Dutman says that life loves the beating of itself. A life that suffers from itself is a life that survives itself. Life will outlive itself, survive itself. That's what life does. Life keeps leaving itself behind, end quote. So life only progresses through suffering, but to endure this, it must love the suffering or else it wouldn't do that. And this is what you can hear in Elvis's voice. So this love and suffering dialectic that Elvis expresses so clearly is the essence of how life itself goes forward. Love entails a kind of surrender of freedom, 
But also life can't go forward without love. Life can only go on by doing what it itself loves. And it loves the beating of itself. It loves its own suffering. Because what it produces more of than anything else is suffering. And yet life goes on. So it must love the suffering it produces so much of. Otherwise it wouldn't be driven forward by it. Life keeps leaving itself behind, Dutman says. Life goes forward by leaving itself behind. And it can only leave itself behind because it causes itself pain and wants to get away from the pain it causes itself. So love ties us to the world more than anything else. That's why it's so scary. It's much better to feel like you can leave the world and aren't too tied to it. Love is what makes us human precisely because it ties us to the world, to the present moment. And the world is primarily suffering. So love is the guarantee of suffering in this way. Without love, we are free to enter and exit the world as we please, free to live in the past or the future. Love anchors us to a place, to a present, and makes us human, which is to say it makes us suffer. Love gives our humanity, gives us our humanity in this way, the freedom to be human, to fully exist in the present, which necessarily entails suffering. So a life without love is a life without suffering, but it's also not a human life. And so I think the neoliberal subject, which again, Elvis is the repudiation of an antidote for, struggles to live in the present. Or if the neoliberal subject does live in the present, it is in, it's in this very deprived, animalistic way. And I think there are two forms of life that can exist fully in the present, animals and gods. An animal is forced to live in the present, to survive. A god chooses to fully live in the present. And that is the kind of subjectivity that Elvis represents this choice to live in the present. And choice is the essence of love, Kierkegaard says. It's what makes us fully human. And if we don't make a definitive choice in the way that Elvis is kind of choosing to be fully alive in the present, then we become animals or we wither away or whatever. So for Kierkegaard, love is the most important theme to analyze because it's the most direct experience we can have of God in this world. Kierkegaard says, quote, Mine, what does this word signify? Not what belongs to me, but what I belong to, what contains my whole being, which is mine insofar as I belong to it. My God is not the God who belongs to me, but the God to whom I belong, end quote. So when we worship God, we are worshiping our own subordination. And so it's the same way with love as well. Your love is not yours. Your love is who you belong to. So when you love someone, when they are yours to love, it means that you're actually belonging to them. And so love is essentially vulnerable like this. So the self must be found through the other, who is also finding itself through the other. So you can hear and feel this dialectical tension, this pushing and pulling in Elvis's voice, in the titles of his songs, in his lyrics. And this is precisely the materialism of the encounter. So in his song, Don't Be Cruel, Elvis sings about his true heart and how exposed and vulnerable it makes him. All he can do is ask the woman not to be cruel to his heart. He isn't going to protect his heart or hide his heart. His heart is true. He can't do anything else. He can't help it. And so he's going to live in that moment with his exposed heart and just hope that he doesn't get hurt, even though he knows that he will, but he's not going to let that stop him. And so here's Don't Be Cruel. Don't be cruel, through hard is true. 
he's still putting himself out there because his heart is true. And so the truth shouldn't be hidden, even though the world treats, treats truth with cruelty because nothing is more vulnerable than the truth. Yet living in the truth of love, presenting this truth to the world is how one comes to fully live in the present, how one lives as a God. If your truth is treated cruelly, that just lets you know that you are on the path to becoming a God. So the world wants men to live as animals, not as God. So cruelty is what God's always receive in this world. That's the story of Jesus. But through love, men become gods. So love is vanishing from the world because society doesn't want us to become gods. They want us to be empty or to be animals. That's what neoliberalism is all about. The defining characteristic of neoliberalism is the death of love and sort of living in the present moment as this animal just struggling to survive. You know. So all this does a great version of Dusty Springfield's you don't have to say you love me. It's on his live from Madison Square Garden album. I'm not going to play it, but I'll just read some of the lyrics. He says, you don't have to say you love me, just be close at hand. You don't have to stay forever, I will understand. Believe me, believe me, I can't help but love you. But believe me, I'll never tie you down. Hmm. So that's a song by Dusty Springfield, who's a woman singer. Um, so he's very easily adopting the female perspective in this song. And he does it in lots of different songs. So with those lyrics, he's, you know, being very vulnerable and very much, you know, uh, at the power of the other person, just like in Don't Be Cruel and in lots of his other songs. So even though he's like this quintessentially American man and the, you know, greatest sex symbol of the 20th century, uh, he's very effortlessly sort of adopting this feminine perspective. But it's precisely because of this vulnerability and this femininity that he can play with, that he was able to embody love and capture love in, in all of its power. And so I think Elvis is the most quintessentially American figure in some ways because of what he reveals about love. Love is about freedom, freedom from the self. And America is the land that worships freedom above all else. 
But there's also less love here, it seems like, than there is anywhere else because you're just on your own. You know, you make money or you die. That's basically all that America is about. Because we Americans don't want freedom from the self. We want freedom for the self. But the self can't become free alone. Our freedom is contingent. Our freedom isn't free. Freedom is a trap and love is a trap. This is the pain you can hear in Elvis's voice. He has loved so much and this is what burns him up and shakes him up and destroys him. And perhaps because we all have to work so hard to survive and have so little time and there's so much inequality here and that breeds a lack of trust and there can be no love where there's no trust. And America is also the land of individualism and love reveals how we need more than just ourselves to become ourselves. So there's a certain natural skepticism and resentment towards love in America. It's at best an afterthought here or something that gets in the way of, you know, self-actualization or career goals or whatever else. But love is freedom and it's happiness. So it should be the most central part of American life, the land of the free, where we pursue happiness and so on. As Kierkegaard says, quote, love exists only in freedom. Only in freedom is there enjoyment and everlasting delight, end quote. So freedom is the precondition for love and freedom of this type is what brings the ultimate happiness. Love is the feeling of freedom from the burden of yourself, of being trapped within yourself. But this kind of freedom can only be given to you by someone else. So freedom isn't free and it doesn't obey you. My freedom depends on the dynamics of your freedom. You can't give yourself freedom. Love makes you who you are, but you have very limited power over it. Love is freedom, but it's not a freedom we have power over. Love is a freedom that pulls you apart, which again, you can hear and feel in Elvis's voice. So in his songs, Elvis is literally describing his own experience of physical disincorporation, being ripped apart, but with the kind of excitement and anticipation of what this disincorporation can lead to, transcendence of materiality through this full self-destructive transformative embrace of materiality. Again, he's all shook up, he's burning up in love, he can't help falling in love. He's fully aware of how self-destructive it is, but still fully engages in it. In some of his later, more serious songs, you can see how he puts this kind of self-destructiveness of love to use. So in Bridge Over Troubled Water, which was recorded in 1970, so a later song for him, he's describing transforming himself into a bridge, laying himself down physically. So it's about physical sacrifice. And you can really hear the sacrifice in his voice. Like he can barely get through the song, but again, his band sort of carries him through it. So I wanted to play Bridge Over Troubled Water.
And the crowd goes wild. What a song. So you can sort of, the song is about physical sacrifice, turning himself into a bridge that other people can use. And you can really hear this sacrifice in his voice. Like he can barely get through the song. And the band kind of carries him through the song. The crowd carries him through the song. But he has this kind of haggard, pained, collapsing heaviness to his voice. But it's still very triumphant and affirmative and engaging with this, you know, disincorporation, this transformation of himself into a bridge. He's using his kind of self-destructiveness to turn into a bridge for other people. And so he's, again, sort of needing to be carried along by the orchestra in this song. And I think this is one of the most beautiful sounds that Elvis makes, is when he's kind of older and tired, but still tries to hit those rousing peaks at the end of his songs. And he has this whole orchestra behind him, but all he can manage is kind of raggedy wailing. But he pushes through it and achieves a kind of triumphant beauty nevertheless. And I think that's, you know, what love sounds like. Um, because it's this pain, but this affirmative engagement with the pain and you push through it and it leads to this amazing thing that you can really hear in that song. Okay. And another one of his big later songs, Suspicious Minds, which might be his most famous song. That's the one that I heard on the radio the most when I was growing up, on like the oldie station at least. Um, so in Suspicious Minds, 
We also hear about the effects of living a life of such massive amounts of love. So we hear him paying the price for all of the love in his life. And so he's singing from the perspective of Elvis. So he's not really playing a character in any of his songs, I don't think. So like Johnny Cash, you know, has a song, A Boy Named Sue, where he takes the perspective of a boy named Sue. Elvis never does that. Elvis is just always Elvis. So in Suspicious Minds, he's talking about how he can't build a relationship with his current girlfriend or whatever uh, because she's so suspicious because, you know, he's Elvis and he's been around the block to say the least. Um, so he's trying to have a normal relationship, but he can't because she's always suspicious of him. So his old friends come over to say hi um, and his current woman gives him suspicious looks. And so we can see kind of the self-critique of the kind of burning love that he experienced his whole life. His love burns so hard that anyone who approaches him has a kind of suspicion of how much his love had burned. So he sings in the song about the pain that his woman's suspicion causes him. But she is right to be suspicious of him. He's Elvis. You know, every woman in America wanted him. Um, so this is Suspicious Minds. What you doing? 
So it's this very pained song. He's trapped by all of the love that he experienced in his life. So he's trying to have this normal relationship, but he can't. Um, and yet despite, and so you can hear him sing with real pain about how every time his woman looks at him with suspicion, it hurts him. Like he's being punished for being this, you know, burning light of love in the world his whole life. But still the song is very upbeat and s sort of sounds positive, like, you know, when I heard it when I was younger, I didn't really know what it was about. Um, I just thought it was like a, I don't know, kind of fun Elvis song. I didn't know the weird, you know, dialectic of pain and love that was at the basis of it. Um, so all of his love and his past has basically turned him into a god through transcendence of his materiality, not by abstaining from it, but by burrowing down into it, by finding a soul within material existence within his body. So all of his love has trapped him. And so the song is about his superhuman capacity for love, making him extremely sad, being trapped and losing his freedom, really. So the flip side of the coin of love. So he's trapped by it. So he's sad in that song because he wants to build his dreams with his woman, but her mind is too suspicious. And she's suspicious because Elvis has loved too much. So the freedom of love that he experienced throughout his life ends up trapping him and taking away his freedom. So building a dream, as he says in that song, is a significant kind of image. You have to use materiality to build a dream. You're starting from what exists to build something that doesn't exist out of the material ready to hand. But doing this requires transforming materiality itself. And this is what Elvis from beginning to end is all about, of how you know burning up in love transforms his body into something else, into smoke. But that transformational process, even though it's horrifying, is what gives you power. So how do you build a dream with material that you control? And what material do you control? Your own soul, your own body. And so this is the kind of dialectic of subjective disintegration that Elvis represents. So you have to turn your body into your soul, your soul into your body in order to build a dream out of it. Finding a revolutionary form requires this kind of transcendent materiality. So form and content merge together in this kind of dialectical way to create a dream out of the present conditions that can transcend the conditions. So Elvis synthesizes form and content in all of these ways, and he also synthesizes hot and cold. So Elvis wasn't cool. Frank Sinatra and those guys were all about being cool. Elvis wasn't really part of that. Elvis was hot. He burned himself up. And he, you know, was shaken up. He was never keeping his cool. He was always sort of 
agitated and going crazy, really. But that's precisely what made him cooler than anyone. And so I think to bring it back to Lana Del Rey, I think she's the inverse or the reverse of this. She's so cool that she is hot. Elvis was so hot that he became cool. Lana is so cool that she becomes sort of hot. Lana is very minimalist. You know, her songs, it's like she's barely even there. Like she's kind of whispering when she sings. And Elvis is very maximalist. He's very larger than life. Whereas Lana is sort of smaller than life in some ways. But that is what gives her this kind of strange power. And so Lana's kind of this disembodied voice, kind of floating around above it all. And Elvis is all about the body and materiality, being very much engaged in the present in all of its messiness. So they both seem as if they're inhaling, almost pulling you into their world with their voice when they sing. But their world is our world, so it's very easy to feel at home in their voices. So with both of them, it's like their voice is a world. There's something very cinematic about both of their voices. So their songs are like movies almost, but in the classic sense of movies, movies as a visual medium. They create sounds that you can see and sort of live inside of. So a good movie is a world that you feel like you're entering, not a story you have to follow, but an image you can go inside of. And so that's what Elvis and Lana both do, and it's very rare. And so both of their voices sound like they're sort of dragging across the ground, but in a very effortless way. And Lana's voice is dialectical because it's very disembodied and pure spirit almost. But it also feels like it's kind of dragging along the ground. So it sounds like it's coming from out of the sky, but also from under the ground at the same time. And that's how Elvis sounds. So it's very dialectical. In her song, National Anthem, which I'm not going to play because it's too long, Lana says, money is the reason we exist. Everybody knows it. It's a fact. Kiss, kiss. And so this feels like a direct engagement with Elvis in the sense of Elvis as sort of the soul of the commodity and the disintegrated subjectivity that nevertheless affirms itself, which is what Elvis is. But this ultimately is what destroyed Elvis because he was too engaged directly with, with all of this. So he became bloated, shapeless, lost himself, died young. Lana is sort of effortlessly encapsulating that whole system of dialectics, but transcending it because she isn't as materially engaged with it as Elvis was. She's kind of floating above it, while Elvis was anything but floating above it. Elvis is right in the middle of it, being torn apart by it, his body being ripped apart, which you hear in his voice. Lana isn't being torn apart. She's kind of disembodied and hovering above it. So because reality is so poorly understood now, floating above it is the only kind of engagement that seems possible in any way. Any kind of direct masculine engagement with what's going on in our current situation just doesn't even seem to make sense. Like, what would that even look like? Trump is the only example of a kind of direct, conventionally masculine engagement with reality in recent times. And Elvis is nothing like Trump. Trump is ugly, stupid, divisive, clownish, no talent really. Elvis is beautiful, talented, unifying. Everyone loves Elvis. He's a star, not a clown like Trump. So Lana, I think, fully understands the kind of direct engagement with reality that Elvis was engaged in. She's equally as intense as Elvis, but Elvis's engagement and intensity was very material and embodied and grounded, while Lana's is more cautious at a distance, sort of picking her spots in this more feminine way. In her song, Summertime Sadness, I think you can see that song in relation to burning love. Elvis embraces a love that burns him up, but Lana is embracing a kind of sadness or coldness, even within the summer, if you listen to that song. So Elvis is slipping away into the flames that are approaching his body in burning love. 
Lana is slipping away into a kind of coldness and sadness, even within the summer. So Lana's sound is kind of a lamentation. There's something very mournful about her songs. But what is she mourning? She's mourning the death of the king, the absence of the king, that gap in our cultural space of a sense of masculinity that has never been filled since Elvis, a masculinity that, that is both vulnerable and chauvinistic, and that now gets called toxic, of course. And that's what Lana is lamenting the absence of. So in another one of her songs, Born to Die, she's embracing a love that will kill her, basically. She says, you and I were born to die. So it's this kind of nihilism and self-destructive that bonds them. Like how Elvis embraces self-destructiveness, but his is a fiery self-destructiveness, a materialist self-destructiveness. You can hear and feel the pain that is destroying him. And Elvis, you know, immerses himself in it very boldly. But Lana's is kind of a nihilistic self-destruction, floating above the self-destructiveness around her, not really engaged with it, but very knowing and very canny about it. She's engaged in the present fully like Elvis was, but in a kind of absent, negative, disembodied way. So she's fully there, very authentic, but also kind of ethereal. And anything, and Elvis is anything but ethereal. So Elvis, you know, is the king. He is a god, but a material god, god as man. He isn't some kind of floating spirit. He is a god fully engaged in the world. And I think it's significant that he's called the king because Jesus is the king. And Elvis is a lot like Jesus, but Jesus kind of ran from his materiality, from his physicality, from his body, whereas Elvis embraces it. Elvis enjoys it. He enjoyed being the king, even though it tore him apart. He wouldn't have it any other way. Jesus sort of suffers through his materiality and humanity. He didn't enjoy being the king. And so this is why I think the Beatles are bullshit, because John Lennon said the Beatles were bigger than Jesus, but that's not true. Elvis really was bigger than Jesus, but he didn't have to say that he was bigger than Jesus because it was already just understood that he was. It was unnecessary for him to say that he was bigger than Jesus. It would be redundant. Plus, it would be disrespectful because Elvis, you know, loved Jesus. He sang a lot about Jesus. He has whole records that are gospel music. He understood that rock and roll came from gospel music. So I wanted to play one of Elvis's songs about Jesus called Reach Out to Jesus.
Reach out to Jesus, he's reaching out to you. So, you know, Jesus is in the present. The future is in the present. Possibility, dream, it's in the present. And if you engage with it, it will reveal itself to you. Um, so Jesus is always there, hearing every prayer, faithful and true. Walking by our side, in his love we hide all the day through. So we can hide in his love. Reach out to Jesus, touch him, he's reaching out to you. So it's God as this material, physical presence in this world right now. You can just talk to him today. Does the future press you with its worry and its scare? Elvis asks. Reaching out to Jesus anchors you to the present. You can hide in his love all the day through. So love is this house, this fortress to restore yourself and protect yourself from the world while also engaging fully with the world at the same time. So even though love tears us apart, it destroys us. It also saves us. So Jesus tore himself apart so that we could live inside of his love, inside of his body, really, forever. And I think Elvis brings that same kind of theme right into the modern subject, this kind of selflessness and soulfulness that has been totally lost during the neoliberal period, which I think is now coming to an end and which we need to restore. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Um, I'll see you next time. Bye.